Great to see some folks here tonight. I haven't seen in a little bit. Um, man, I just, this is like family here. I love each and every one of you guys. I know that sounds cheesy, but like I, I got to see Stephanie a couple weeks ago in Colorado and got to tell her about what's kind of going on here. And it was really neat. And just sharing like the stories of each one of you. And like she asks about like so many of you guys. So hit her up on Facebook. Just say hello. She's, uh, she's doing great. And uh, it's cool to see what the Lord's doing in her life and using her. And, uh, ah, there we go. Didn't want to break that again. All right, let's pray. God, we come before you tonight. Lord, we open your word. Lord, we surrender every piece of intellect that we would have that would be in opposition to your word. God, it says to be in opposition to your word and to your truth is to have the spirit of the Antichrist. Lord, that's kind of heavy. Lord, we just say that there would not be a single ounce of opposition for what you would reveal to us tonight. Lord, we know that our minds will be offended. We know that the, the, the norms and the, the, the standard realities in which maybe we've operated will be questioned. And so, Jesus, we ask right now that you would speak through every single word that comes from my mouth. That you would speak through the scriptures as we open it up. God, we don't want to just any message, Lord. We want a message and we want the truth from the throne room. And so we ask right now, Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb that you sacrifice for us, Lord, enlighten and empower your children now. Lord, we're here to meet with you. We're here because you are good and because your word reveals such freedom for us. Thank you for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you guys brought a Bible, we have all the verses and things on the screen, but I'm going to jump into 1 John chapter 4. 1 John is like near the back, kind of near Revelation. Go to Revelation, just go like a couple books uh, forward. That's where we're going to be studying tonight. It's going to be awesome. And I wanted to preface this by saying that our norm, our Christian norm, what, what seems like typical and standard is that, and I don't know about you guys, did any of you guys like grow up in like a really like super mellow church at like Man, it was, it was just like stale all the time. Anybody grew up in a church like that? Like, yeah, yeah. It was like the frozen chosen, like, you know, the, the most charismatic people get just like holding like the front pew or something like that, you know? And, uh, you know, it's always like kind of some abstract or just like some, some message that has no application, you know, or, or something. And, and I don't know, like not to harp on anybody else, but I'll tell you what, that I never heard anybody preach on the, the spiritual realm that is the flip side of the coin of the godly realm. The, the spiritual forces, the, the things that are at play in our, our life. Because we're going to look at the word here and we're going to say, okay, the spirit of God, that's, that's awesome, but there's an adversary that's gnarly. And, and I never want to give the enemy too much attention because I, it's a, he's a flea on a gorilla. You know, it's just like it, it's, we give way too much attention sometimes for for the enemy. Like, my, my truck wouldn't start the other night. I was at the, uh, you know, trying to get home fast and, and see my wife. I get my truck, and it, like, doesn't go. And, you know, I, it's been, like, probably 40,000 miles since I've taken an oil change. I, like, this thing is, like, the wheels are, like, about ready to fall off. It shakes going down the road. And it's, like, it'd be ridiculous if I stood there, like, Satan, what are you doing, you know, to my truck? It's, like, I've taken terrible care of it. It's, like, the spirit of stupid is on me on my truck. You know, and so I, I never want to give the enemy too much credit where he's not. But there's something about that there's been this, this, this mode, and I don't know if you agree, but there's been a mode in which the, the modern church has just said there's not a whole lot that goes on beyond the metaphysical reality that we exist. 
It's like that stuff was like back then. That, that gnarly stuff were demons or spiritual forces or darkness and all that stuff. We don't like to talk about that. We don't like to say anything about that. And that's just, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. We're in a different time. Anybody you guys grew up with like kind of like in that realm? And how about like the role of, of God's present voice, his heart, his daily communion with us? I never really heard a whole lot about that going on. It was always a message about how can our lives be a little bit better or how can we be, you know, suck less at this and, or, you know, whatever it is. But I, I think I found like in my, my college years and being discipled by people about this, this picture that was painted about a, a God that communes with you daily, and a God that speaks to you and wants to have a relationship and dialogue with you. And it was like so foreign. I never was taught. I never was given that picture of what that really looked like. I found that we can become really, really good at religion and be completely void of his presence. Are you with me? That we can be really good. We can know every single scripture in the book, but we can be completely empty about what is God's heart and his intention for me now. And so we need to look at, in that context, as we talk about discerning God's spirit and really discerning the other spirits that are at play, that one, we have a realm of darkness that is trying its hardest to keep us ever from experiencing God's voice and his heart and his intention. And secondly, that we have a God that is waiting and screaming to hear his voice in this generation and the world to know what his heart is. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And if we refuse to acknowledge these forces amongst us, we are going to live powerless lives. If you want to guarantee to be on the other end of eternity and feel like, man, that was kind of boring. Man, I didn't do anything that I really thought I would. You will have that life if you ignore his presence and the forces that are against us. I really think that we settle for less because we believe there's less. Do you believe that there's more? Do you believe that, that God does want to speak to you? Or do you believe that his, his existence is there to make life be a little bit better? And I think that's Satan's greatest deception is that there are no other forces at work. Satan's greatest deception over us is that God doesn't speak to you. He doesn't want to speak to you. He doesn't care about the details of your life. And there's nothing else at play. That is the greatest deception of the earth. So why don't you open up to 1 John chapter 4 with me. First John chapter 4. I'm just going to read the first four verses. That's all we're going to get through tonight in First John. But we've got a lot of season it with. First John chapter 4 verse 1. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and is now, it is already present in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I'm going to dissect this. In verse 1. The whole entire truth of what I'm going to talk about is just all in pretty much verse 1. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. And he's like, whoa, there's multiple spirits? I remember like, hold on the fort here. Like, you know, we, we, we pass through a verse like this. And, and it's interesting that 
1 John was written about 75 years after Jesus. So this whole argument of like, you know, the demonic and all these spiritual forces and the prophetic and all these, you know, kind of holy roller things that, oh, that was back in the day of Jesus. This is written 75 years after Jesus was gone. It's like he's talking about now, like now, now. <laughs> and he says, do not believe every spirit. And so we have to come to the realization, the truth, that we encounter multiple spirits besides the spirit of God. We encounter multiple spirits in our existence besides the spirit of God. We look at Ephesians 6.12 and it says this about it. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. It says it right there. It's like we don't, we don't battle with flesh and blood. Our struggle in this earth, at this time, our life is not a struggle about person to person. It's about underlying force. It's about an opposition to us, an opposition of who we are, an opposition of Jesus' mission for us. That's the reality we live in. And so he says, test the spirits. Like, we encounter multiple spirits at force. We think we get a lot of credit because we believe in God. James 2 says, you believe in one God? Oh, awesome. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder, you know? And we, we think about that, and we're like, and even the demons, like, you know, he like mentions it there. You're like, we're, we're missing the point. We're thinking, oh yeah, we believe in one God. And he's like, but even the demons believe in that. A little crazy. And so you either believe that we are in an eternal struggle against darkness or you don't. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Either you believe that that is reality, that we encounter multiple spirits, that we encounter a life in opposition, or you don't. If you don't believe it, then the chances are you're not a big threat to the kingdom because the enemy is going to come against those who are threatened, are threatening him, and are dangerous for the kingdom. If we don't have opposition, if we don't feel that there's a force at play in our lives, if we don't feel that resistance to pursuing God, if that's not difficult, if there's not tension there, if there's not an effort there that is like, man, this doesn't feel like it should be this easy, then we have to acknowledge that we have not gone very deep. We have to acknowledge that there is more for us. It's not to say that, that what you have, you're, that you're not saved or any of that stuff. It just says we want to be people who push the boundaries of God's presence. We want to be people who live lives that are extraordinary. Our theme verse, I've said it a million times, John 10, 10, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. There's an opposition for us attaining that goal. I think the best marital advice I ever heard came from Dave Allgood. Do you remember what that was? Mm-hmm. He said it a little bit better. It was great, and I've never forgotten this. He's like, we're, we're with a buddy on his bachelor party. We went skydiving, rafting, burritos, ziplining, all in one day. It was, inc- it was so crazy. And Dave's one, one piece of advice, I didn't ask if I could share this, he's like, resist the urge to be an a-hole. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, we have this like... Why do I feel this way? Why, why is there this and not, you know, what, what is that? We encounter a spiritual resistance that tries to slow down your momentum. And we feel that this, the resistance comes in our personal lives against us and at work in other people against us. We have to realize that there are spiritual forces that, that we can be saved, but we can totally be manipulated and be working through as an instrument for the demonic. And also there can be other people that are doing the same. It's not about them, but it's about releasing the power that's kind of gripped them. 
But we need to be able to call what it is. If we're going to have victory, we need to be able to know what we're fighting against. We need to know the rules of the game that we're playing. And the joy is that we don't have to play by the rules. We might be on their court. We're, we're in a world that's fallen. It says that the enemy is the ruler of this world, so we're on his turf, his court, but we don't have to play by his rules. So tonight I want to find out how can we stop playing by his rules and start moving the rules of the kingdom. So how do you know if there's one of those spirits working in you? Isn't that the way you want to know? Like, how do I know? And we think it's like, like the, the Freddy Krueger style, like, Dave. You know, like, I don't know. Like, I don't encounter like that kind of, like, that'd be kind of gnarly if you had like that encounter with the enemy. Who knows? I've heard it happens. But, but how do we know, like, okay, so I don't have, you know, an, like a demon-like shaped, like, what is it? What am I trying to say? Gargoyle, thank you, man. Like a little red costume with a pointy tail and a pitchfork on my shoulder, you know? And he's like, blah, 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 blah. Now, like, we don't really think about that, but we think about other ways. And I would argue that the greatest success that the enemy has is to try to minimize his actual workings in your life. If he can convince you that he's subtly working on you, kind of tricking you, kind of making you believe that this is something else, and he's winning. It's an amazing book. It's called Screwtape Letters. Oh, man, please pick that up. Please read some of it. But how do you know if one of those happened to be at work in your life? And I would say this, that anything that captivates your heart, anything that captivates your heart, is a working of another spirit. Now, what do I mean by that? Captivate means to influence, to dominate with an irresistible appeal. Captivate. What's the root of captivate? Captive. Jesus says, I came to set the captives free. We have things that rule our hearts. And maybe it's not go kill somebody, though that would be crazy. But maybe it's like fear. Does fear captivate your heart? Does anxiety rule your heart and captivate you? Does that, that worry about what am I going to do? Who am I going to marry? What career will I choose? How am I going to pay this? The things that captivate our hearts are evidence of a present spirit that's trying to rob us of peace. Because Jesus said, I have come to give you peace. And so as the, the promise of peace is within Jesus' word to us, we have to know that there is an eternal struggle to steal that peace and substitute it with something else. How you know when, when we get in trouble and maybe we got caught or something and we start like making up all sorts of things? Like, you know, no, like really, you know, we get really creative when we're on our heels. We do like manipulation, we do all sorts of lying, you know, we're, we're trying to cover it up. And when we don't have that peace, we begin to react as opposed to acting and choosing the path that we want to live. And we think that the things that would sit, I was talking about like the things that sit on the throne of our heart, things like pride, you know, I don't, need, I don't need God. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need any discipleship. I don't need anybody. I'm perfectly fine. How about shame? How do you feel like you've just like blown it? You don't even know what you're doing. You're such a loser. No one loves you. No one likes you. I'll never get married. I, I hear that stuff all the time. People who just wedge themselves in. How about bitterness? Someone who's wronged you, you've never forgotten it, forgotten it. You like you live your life drawing from the anger of this bitterness. These are the things that captivate our heart. 
If you wake up at night thinking about this thing, if you go to bed sleep, or thinking about this thing or, or living your life trying to justify what you're doing now because of something else and it's not the peace of Christ, then you have something at work in your life. Something else has captivated your heart. It's choosing to influence your decisions, your mentality, the choices, the things you do and say. Because my Bible says in Isaiah 32, 17, that the fruit of righteousness will be peace. Best way to ask it, do you have peace in your life? Is there any peace? I'm amazed at how few people say, man, I got peace. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy things going on, but I got peace. And it's, it's a battle to maintain that. I told you that we're expecting a baby in a couple of weeks, and man, it's like a battle to keep the peace. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And I, I think it's just a, a nervousness of like, wow, life is going to change. But it's not of like, we're totally unprepared. We, we, we can't provide for it. We're going to starve this baby. Like all these fear-based things and anxiety-based. It's not that stuff. So maybe my wife feels that way. I don't know. Um, but to have an inner peace that we draw strength from. And here's what I want to, if you, if you listen to nothing tonight, I hope you don't do that, but if there's nothing that you get besides this, is that the absence of peace is the presence of a stronghold. The absence of peace is the presence of a stronghold. And we have such diverse lives. Peace is not this overarching thing that just blankets us. We can have peace and man, I feel great about the shoes I'm wearing. Whew, tons of peace there. You know, but my relationships are wreck. Like we, we have to look at our life as this all-encompassing area that has all these sub-areas. And the trick is to not kill us by a huge blow, but to kill us by a million paper cuts trying to steal our peace. Are you with me? The absence of peace is the presence of a stronghold. Maybe this sounds all foreign. You're like, I don't know about this. But there's explicitly stated several spirits that are different than the spirit of God in the Bible. Several of them. I put together like this little screen. Maybe we can show it. And I just went through a whole bunch of different verses in the Bible. And these are talking about like other spirits besides the spirit of God that are at work. The spirit of the demonic. Like, oh, that sounds heavy. You know, that, that's, that's where people are completely controlled. Completely controlled. We talk about people who are demon-possessed. They don't have autonomy of their existence. They are oppressed in a demonic way. The spirit of divination and presumption. That's people who, you know, fortune tell and, and know what's going to happen or God's going to do this. It says in James that that is wickedness. That we tell God what's going to happen. A spirit of slavery. I think we're, we're slaves to work, to money, to pleasing others. Spirit of the world. Spirit of partiality. Spirit of timidity. Spirit of the Antichrist, the Antichrist, that means, sure, there's a person who's going to come and try and, and rule the world, but there's the spirit of the Antichrist is an opposition to Jesus. So anything that's in opposition to him, our verse says the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of error, we have both of those. Those are just like the explicit ones, like it mentions those, like these are at play. But it's great because the word of the Lord always gives us antidotes to some of these things. And I just like added a little word that, that shows what the antidote for each one of these is. We're promised victory. We're promised that we will have victory over the presumption of sin through surrender and humility. We have so many verses talking about our freedom. And we came to set the captives free. Understanding, equality, boldness, agreement with God, and wisdom. And these are all things you read the scripture, you get all these things. And so we look at the Bible as like great instruction, but also gives us all these 
you know, areas in which we can grow against the, the spiritual forces that are at play. And these are just the explicit ones. Back to John, 1 John chapter 4. We're still in verse 1. Are you guys with me? Yeah. All right. I'm in 2 John. Here we go. <laughs> so, beloved, do not believe every spirit. We know that there's multiple, all sorts of things. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Here's the truth here on this verse, is that there's a possibility of confusing the spirit of God with the spirit of the enemy. There's a possibility that we can confuse the spirit of God with the spirit of an enemy. Like all the lists that we just saw there. And we, we do a huge injustice to ourselves when we mistakenly place upon the spirit of God over the spirit of the enemy. If you're out there and you're, you're telling people that, you know, oh, I don't want to name any groups, but there's, there's religious groups and sects that will go and, and picket different pet sins. And they'll tell people that you're going to hell. You'll, they'll, all these different things. And they honestly think that they have the Spirit of God enforcing and empowering them to proclaim the judgment of God. But they are under a demonic oppression that is of judgment and shame and all these other things that are at play. Are you with me? But they are fully convinced that they are acting within the Spirit of God. And so we need to know that, that there is a potential for us to confuse those things. It is a possibility for us to confuse where God ends and the demonic begins. It's kind of scary. So, we talked a little about the, the, the spirits of the enemy. And what about the actual spirits that are present that are of God, that are explicit? It says the spirit of blank. We have another list of that. Look at this. The spirit of truth. The spirit of holiness, the spirit of life. It says that we have one God, but all these forms and various abilities and giftings among us. These are all the workings of the Holy Spirit in different phases, trying to, to push us and to mature us. These are all areas in which we receive and ask God to impart. Spirit of life, the spirit of adoption of sons. Spirit of gentleness, of faith, of promise, of wisdom and revelation. The spirit of grace, of glory, of prophecy. These are all explicit. You can look up any one of these verses. I'll post these on our, our blog and you can download those if you want. But it's kind of gnarly, right? You're like, wow, so there's like explicit spirits that exist in our realm to try and catch us up and then there's explicit spirits of, of, the, of the Lord that are, are here to, to give us strength. Now, here's the crazy thing is that each one of these has a lie attached to it that the enemy would try and pervert and try and steal from these. And I, I wrote a couple of them down next to these. How about the spirit of suicide? Jesus is like, I came to give you life and the, the spirit of life among us, but we have such a, an amazing stronghold on so many people our age in this, this, this transition period of our life where either you want to commit suicide spiritually or physically. I cannot tell you how many times I've been with people and, and have had that. Just two weeks ago, I was with somebody and I called it out on them. The Lord is just like, boom, 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 boom. This person has the, the spirit of suicide that they've been robbed of the spirit of life. And so I said, you have been contemplating committing suicide and just, it's crazy. But the Lord works in us to reveal those things. Harshness, fear and anxiety, despair, ignorance and deception, the spirit of bitterness, of obscurity, spirit of pride. The one I think that we have a huge issue in our 
generation also is the orphan spirit of adoption of sons. That we have this issue that God really chose us. He loves us. That no matter what we did, that we're his. And we feel that we've become orphans and that, that we've been cast out and are lost. It's crazy. So we need to know that there's attributes of, of the spirit here. But there's also an attempt to try and steal that through all these other devices. If you, if you read something on that list on the right-hand side and it strikes your heart, you should write it down and ask the Lord to reveal to you more about that. Because he wants to replace the life where there's darkness. So the attributes of the spirit that differ from the spirits of Satan, how do we know? Galatians 5.22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we have all these, these spirits moving and trying to, to battle with us, and it's saying that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the good things, will produce these kinds of outcomes. It's saying when we are, are communing and inviting the Spirit of the Lord in all the different facets, these will be some of the outcomes. So we have to ask ourselves, this thing that I'm, it's, is compelling me, does it result in one of these outcomes? The compulsion maybe it is to, to cheat or maybe it's to, to get above somebody or maybe to slander somebody. Is the outcome of it one of those? It probably isn't. That's probably where we find pride creeping up or, or one of the other forces that are trying to grab us and they're trying to steal us. All right, let's continue verse 1. <laughs> And it says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets. Anybody be like, hmm, there has to be true prophets in order to be false prophets, right? Anybody like surprised by that? How can you have a false prophet if you don't have a legit prophet? I don't know. You either believe that Jesus speaks to us today or you don't. That was one of the things I heard when it talks about prophecy is that, oh, that was just back in those days. Uh-uh. This is like here and now. It says here now, either you believe that he is in us, he speaks to us, or you don't. It's one or the other. And if he does, then what are we doing to find out about it? What are we doing to try and accentuate and accelerate and amplify that? First Thessalonians says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances. Isn't that crazy? Do not quench the spirit. That's why we're, we're so open about having people come and give us exhortation in the word is because we do not want to stand in the way of what God would want to speak to us. I'd rather be wrong than ever stand in the way of what the Lord wants to, to speak to us. Do you know that Revelation 19.20 talk about the spirit of prophecy? It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Do you realize that? You're like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Uh... Somewhere in there. Maybe I wrote that down wrong. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It doesn't look like it's in that text, but it is there. It might be the one after. Sorry, guys, for that. But when you tell people about Jesus, when you share about the testimony of your life, you are engaging in the spirit of prophecy. 
Why is that? It's because prophecy is about revealing God's heart for his people and his generation. It's not about saying that, that the lottery numbers will be 6, 7, 8, 9 next week. Prophecy is about clarifying what God's heart is for us. And so as we tell people about Jesus and his love and how he adopted you as sons and daughters, we are engaging in the spirit of prophecy to help clarify people's image of God and who they are. Are you with me? It's awesome. What is it? 1910. Thank you. That was embarrassing. You notice that Jesus also warned about false prophets too? It was in Matthew 7. He says, beware of false prophets. You'll be able to tell them by their fruit. And then he says that they are wolves in what? Sheep's clothing. You notice how it's not wolves in shepherd's clothing? Notice that. It's like we have the false prophets among us. Not necessarily the pastor or me or anybody else. That we have people that are perverting the word of God and, and customizing it and packaging it as the word of the Lord. We're looking out for people to come as like, I'm a prophet and here is this. And, and actually it's in the relationships that you and I engage in. We have to be able to say, that is not the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord would never say that. We have to know what he says in order to call out what is false about the spirit. I've come to know that there is no qualification or certification or any of that to hear from God. There's nothing. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to do anything really holy. You don't need to, you know, I don't know. I'm running out of examples. But there is no certification. When you accepted Jesus into your life, you engaged in a promise that he would commune with you. And here's the, the truth about it. We, we try and figure out how do we hear God? How do we hear him? How do we find the voice of God? And I'll tell you, it's really, really simple. We do not need to focus on about listening to God as much as we need to silence all the other noise and all the other voices. In order for us to hear the voice of the Lord, we must be able to silence all the competing voices that are coming at us. If you have a, an issue of hearing like, is the Lord speaking to me? Ask yourself, what are the things that are speaking to me? Because some people are like, man, I hear, you know, the Lord telling me this. And people don't necessarily feel comfortable saying, like, God told me to do this. For me, it's more about feeling compelled. And this compulsion to do something, in my mind, gets translated into God is, is telling me to go do something. I don't hear the James Earl Jones voice in my, my ear, you know. That would be really cool. I love that guy. But I don't have that. And I stopped looking for that. We need to stop looking for this like voice that comes and like rattles our skull and like, you know, chandeliers start flying. And I mean, maybe he would do that. That'd be awesome. But I understand that the voice of the Lord is in the smallest compulsions of my heart. The spirit of the Lord, when he speaks, is in the smallest of whispers pushing me, man, I should go do this. The words of the Lord come through my emotions and for what stirs and jumps in my mind and my heart. There's a lot of these things, like, they just come to me. It's crazy. I ask the Lord as I prepare for a night like tonight, I said, Lord, just give me your mind. Now, I just heard a friend who just traveled to uh, Bolivia, and he encountered a, a demon-possessed gal, and it was in another language, like it was all Spanish, and he doesn't speak a word of Spanish, but every single time they said Jesus Christ, this woman was like foaming and screaming just like crazy, and he saw this woman have this demon cast out of her. Crazy, like that, like, you know, he was just talking all about it, and he's not the type that would ever 
say like, oh yeah, I totally am in that stuff all the time. He's like freaked out of his mind, you know, as we should be. And, um, but the, the name of Jesus, yes, there, there is power when we come into a physical manifest, manifestation like that, that the simple name of Jesus does bring out some pretty crazy things. But what this is really affirming is that you notice that it says that Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is who he said he was. He is what the prophets prophesied him to be. It fulfills everything. It fulfills everything. And if it fulfills everything, he is who he said he is, and he meant what he said. And his word is truth. When we come and we say, God is good, because that is what he said, that is what he demonstrated. When we look at the words of Christ, we need to look at it and say, that is truth, because Jesus came in the flesh and rose again for my sins. That is truth. But what we do is we'll, we'll take some things and we'll begin to question different words of Jesus. You know how we do that? We're like, I like all that stuff, but I don't like that. We can't have it either way. If he died and rose again, if he is Jesus Christ, the one who was prophesied for us, and he came in the flesh, fully man, but fully God, if that really happened, he is either 100% true or he's 0% true. There's no in-between. And so we got to take it in that regard. And so if we believe that Jesus came in the flesh, we need to look at what Jesus said and say, that is truth. I don't care what my body feels. We're not feelers, we're believers. We believe that that is truth and we apply it to our life because it's truth. It doesn't matter how I feel. The heart is susceptible of all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17. But we like to say, but I know the plans I have for you and it's plans for my greatness. No, he's like, your heart at times will betray you. Your heart at times will think it's, it's me, but it's not. We're lying to ourselves sometimes. Are you with me? That though our hearts feel it, that doesn't mean that's the Lord. So, if we believe that Jesus came in the flesh and he rose again, he is really who he is and he said he is, we have to believe every word. Flip with me real quick to regular John chapter 16. Same author, by the way. John 16. I'm going to go to verse 12. All right. So Jesus' word is absolutely true, right? No matter what he says, buckle up. It says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. All right. But when he, the spirit of truth, notice that, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. This is before the Holy Spirit was given. He's like, I'm going to go, and he's going to speak through you about me and about what I think and what I'm going to do. It's pretty awesome. So if we believe that Jesus came in the flesh, we have to look at that and say, if I'm not experiencing a little bit of what God has and what he wants, what he thinks about me, then there's something missing. There's something missing because that is the truth. That is what he's promised. And it's powerful because he's like, but you cannot bear it now. That Jesus is like, man, I got so much, but I got to give you a new gear to, to be able to transfer into this. 
I love it in, in pre-service prayer, we're talking about the roles that we have. And there's a, a verse in, in Ephesians and it talks about that we do ministry together, the pastors and apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers. We all have different roles. We minister together. And part of that is understanding and hearing the voice of the Lord. Part of that is that we owe each other an encounter of what God thinks of us and each other. We need to be having our ears open for that because here's the, the biggest truth of the night is that when we think about God's spirit and God's voice is we are only but a piece of it. Sometimes we are one half of it. We think that God speaks for our benefit. He doesn't speak just for our benefit. Sometimes he will, but oftentimes it is the benefit and the expansion for another person. That God is going to give you ideas and intentions and pictures and all sorts of crazy things. He's going to compel you to do things, not because he wants you to look all high and mighty, but because he has something in plan for somebody else. Are you with me? The voice of God is not about our selfish pride. It's not about our selfish well-being. It's not about us. Sorry. It's about others almost all the time. All the time it's about others. And when, when he speaks to us, we get the, the joy of seeing how God completed the circle. I, I was praying about this and I almost looked at like each one of us hold like a little piece of a puzzle. And we have the option whether or not we want to contribute that piece of the puzzle. I hate puzzles. Like this, I do not have the patience in the world to handle a puzzle. But each one of us have a piece of the puzzle for what God thinks of our culture, of our individual people, our, our family members. I was with a competitor from another company this past week, and I was so overwhelmed about the tenderness that God had for her and her heart. And I was like brought to tears about it. I was like, this is so awkward, you know. And, but we hold a piece. We hold the piece that completes an imperfect picture that the world tries to distort. And we know it's not about us. We think about, we want to hear the voice because we think it's going to be something about us. It's not about us. We have a video I want to show you real quick. I got to go to South Africa last year and attend uh, a conference called the Lausanne Congress. And uh, this was crazy. Like, it was from almost every country in the world but two, I think, you know, was there. And got to hear from John Piper and Tim Keller and, you know, all, John Stott, all, crazy theologians, right? I'm just like in the back, like, this is crazy. And there's a speaker, and he was talking about this kind of rule about how we complete this other part. And I want to play it for you if we have that ready. Maybe. Maybe not. All right. I can't see you guys. Do we? All right. Like dying up here. <laughs> it's gonna be good, I promise. Ah, here we go. Yeah. That he may be seen in us. Paul talks about the fact that he is innocent of the blood of all men. A friend of mine from Iran was telling me a story several years ago. A man and a wife were driving through a city. Actually, actually not through a city, through a more remote part of the country. They stopped to buy water. As they stopped to buy water, 
The wife looked and saw a man with a gun leaning against the shop wall. She turned to her husband and said, you need to give that man a Bible. The man looked at the beard and he looked at the gun and he said, no, I don't think it's right. She said, no, I'm sure it's right. Put a Bible in his pocket, said, make sure you give this to him. The man went into the shop, he bought the water. He came out of the shop carrying bags of water. The man followed him into the shop and out of the shop and then leant against the wall again. And as they drove away, the wife looked at the husband and said, you didn't give him a Bible, did you? He said, I prayed about it, it wasn't right. She said, you should have done. He said, no, I shouldn't. She bowed her head and prayed out loud, O Lord, on the day of judgment, may that man's blood be on my husband's head and not mine. <laughs> he is the one who would not give away the Bible. At this point, the car stopped. They had a friendly marital discussion <laughs> that ended with the words, if you want me to die, I will. They drove back into town. He walked up to the man and presented him with a Bible. He took it, kissed it on both sides and said, I do not live here. Three days ago I had a dream in which I was told to wait here for someone to give me the book of life. Thank you for giving me this book. Five years later, that man was martyred for his faith. The gospel requires and demands everything. Let us live in complete surrender to him. One day we will all go home. Let us make sure whatever God is calling to us to, that we do with humility, we do it with love, and we do it in obedience, knowing that our life is not worth preserving, but the gospel that we preach is certainly worth proclaiming. May God bless you. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that awesome? That we have a perspective that we have no idea what's happened on the other side of that telephone. Like we, we think that God just has a single line when I think it's probably more of like a bullhorn to a lot of us. That's so cool. It's so awesome. It's selfish for us to, to think that we don't want to hear the voice of the Lord that he doesn't speak to us, that he won't, it's selfish of us. Because it's not about us, it's about somebody else who's waiting. But we need to decipher, again, the different things are played. You heard him say, like, I prayed about it and God said no. Well, obviously not. <laughs> right? Have you done that? Like, I prayed about it. He said, mm -mm, you know. <laughs> we have things that work in us where we are changing the ways in which we respond based on how our flesh feels, not by based what the Lord has done. And before I close, you want to contribute something. So I have a really interesting example of just kind of going through this whole discernment thing and like, is this right? Is this coming from God? So of course, as some of you guys already know my story, it's going to be about purity. Sorry, hon. <laughs> so... Um, I met the woman in my dreams and immediately started sleeping with her. And um, what was so interesting is just how fantastic that was. I mean, can you imagine meeting like your significant other and like, I'm gonna live the rest of my life with you. We're sleeping together and it's just, it's, it's amazing. And I feel no shame, I feel such at peace. I feel like this is the right thing to do. And everything was just so right. And, and I mean, as some of you guys know who have been through this, it does feel really right. 
I had absolutely no shame from it, but there is a voice of God, a part of that. And what's so interesting, I, I love the Jeremiah 17, 9, that uh, heartful, uh, your heart is full of deceitful things. Who can understand it? I mean, I really just, it, everything felt great. But the Lord is quiet, and the Lord subtly pushes you. But a big thing is if you draw close to the Lord, he will straighten your ways. What is that? Uh, James. It's in James. And so when I, engage, and when I was a part of a Bible study, I was still sleeping with now going to be my future wife, and I eventually brought it up to them and said, guys, help me, help me out. What is this? And they said, like, no, this, this isn't right. I mean, as, as right as it feels to you, I mean, there is a voice of God, and especially there's the word of truth right here. And I mean, you need to test these things. You need to test what you feel is right. I mean, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 is to test everything, hold on to what is good. Galatians 6.4, test yourself so that, that you may have pride in yourselves and not base yourself on somebody else. And I mean, the flesh is like a really just deceitful, weird thing that, that will bring you down. But the thing is, you just, you always need to